Welcome to HealthCast. I'm your host, Melissa Harris, and GovCIO Media and Research is live here at the 2022 HIMSS Conference in Orlando. We're here connecting with top health IT leadership and to dive into the details of their work through a series of special podcast episodes with you. Before we get into our interview today, make sure you follow along to GovCast, HealthCast, and CyberCast so you don't miss out. With that housekeeping out of the way, let's jump into the episode. The past couple of years have been incredibly pivotal for transforming the way we navigate and use our health information and data, and the Office of the National Coordinator for Health IT has been working those strings behind the scenes to make it all happen. ONC has helped usher in the adoption of EHRs across the medical space, and recently they've been working on improving U.S. core data for interoperability for improved equity, standing up the trusted exchange framework and common agreement to enable national health information exchange and rules around information blocking and a bunch more. It's a lot to process, but luckily ONC's national coordinator for health IT, Mickey Tripathi, is here to join us at HIMSS to break down some of these strides and how they'll make a difference in the healthcare space. So thank you, Mickey, so much for joining us here at HIMSS. It's a, an exciting conference and I know you have a lot going on, so it's a special opportunity to chat with you. Sure. Yeah. Happy to be here. Thank you. So um, the past couple of years, ONC has hit some really key milestones like the 2020 final rule and last year's information blocking rule um, amid all sorts of things. So looking ahead this year, how have these previous steps you've taken um, going to help lead ONC and the future of health IT um, going forward? Sure, yeah. I mean, a lot of those things um, were, you know, putting in place to get a process started. And a lot of that is now going to you know, start to actually hit the market in, in 2020. So 2020 is a really huge year. A number of those things are, you know, just to, just to sort of list them in somewhat chronological order. Um, we've got uh, TEFCA, the Trust Exchange Framework and Common Agreement, which we, um, you know, announced is open for network interoperability in, um, on January 18th of this year. So that was, you know, one thing that we wanted to do a really good reset on and get it out to market as quickly as possible. So that, you know, starts the process now of organizations that want to potentially be um, a qualified network under the TEFCA framework to be able to, uh, you know, start to really look at the agreement and then, you know, decide from a business perspective whether they want to move forward with that. And we've gotten really good indications from the market, so we're really excited about that. And um, in parallel, we've got the, you know, as you pointed out, we've got the, uh, the, the Cures Act rule, which had a number of different components in it, and, um, and now that is, you know, starting to kick into place. So we've got um, on April 5th of 2021, we basically put into implementation the information blocking pieces of the, of the 21st Century Cures rule, of the 21st Century Cures Act. And now in 20, uh, so we've had a year or, you know, coming on a year now um, where, providers, health information networks, and certified technology developers were, you know, required to be in compliance. And this year, uh, we're anticipating a number of other things. One is that um, the enforcement piece of that will start coming into place because there isn't right now, because of the way the law was structured, ONC is, re is responsible for creating the policies, which is what we did, and that's what we put into effect on April 5th. But the enforcement, um, which means an investigation of a complaint 
um, that may come into ONC and the determination of whether that um, whether that uh, entity is uh, in violation of the uh, 21st Century Cures Act provisions is the responsibility of the Office of Inspector General. And they haven't issued their final rule yet. Um, we anticipate that will be sometime this year. And so that will put in place the second, you know, sort of piece of the information blocking puzzle, which is we set the policies, we put it into effect, and then the enforcement piece comes into play as well. The other piece that's really important in, uh, in 2022 is um, the uh, API, the requirement that EHR vendors support um, uh, fire-based APIs, which is, you know, going to be a real, you know, sort of step up for the industry because you've got um, the availability of information through um, APIs today that uh, is required in, uh, by ONC um, and uh, ONC regulation related to uh, certification of EHR systems. But we never required that it be um, the same technical standard, in part because, we, you know, we originally, you know, put this into, the, into a regulation in 2015, which was a long time ago. Um, but now the industry has had a lot of time now to, you know, sort of um, uh, spend time making that standard mature and ready for prime time. And now we're you know, very confident that it is ready for prime time. So this year, all the vendors are required to implement that standards-based API for um, patients to be able to access the information as well as, as well as other authorized parties. So a lot of different things going on at multiple levels. Yeah, sounds like it. And um, I want to go back to the information blocking piece real quick. Um, so recently, ONC reported, um, you know, it's first sort of a block of information of people um, submitting complaints. It's about one a day, correct? Um, Roughly. 300 something. Yep. Um, so how is, um, you mentioned how OIG is also going to be doing some of the enforcement around it, but um, based on what you've found so far, how is ONC trying to further enforce information blocking requirements? Is it working with providers to make sure that, you know, they know they shouldn't be doing certain things or should be doing certain things? And also, how does this information blocking reporting system empower patients to control the movement of their health data? Yeah. Um... So, uh, you know, a number of things. There's a huge need, I think, for, um, you know, for as much education and outreach as we can, as, as we can do to patients, as well as to providers, as well as to others. The, you know, the, 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 te the technology developers, for example, um, because, you know, they have staffs that, you know, that spend a lot of time, um, uh, you know, thinking about regulations in particular and ONC regulations because we, you know, because we, we certify EHR systems, they tend to be more aware of and knowledgeable of, you know, of these regulations and what the provisions are. Um, but I think the provider community probably is a little bit less aware of the information blocking requirements and, um, and the fact that it covers them as well, and that, um, and that it, uh, it actually um, has uh, obligations on them that are separate from the electronic health record system, um, you know, because we had the meaningful use program for you know for a number of years, where providers I think got used to the technology supporting what it was they were supposed to do, and so they you know basically looked to their electronic health record vendors to you know to provide the capabilities and to you know that basically gave them the comfort that oh okay that'll keep me in compliance with whatever I need to be in compliance with. The information blocking uh, you know sort of paradigm is different in that the Congress in the 21st Century Cures Act specifically made this about the data, not about where the data lives. And so the obligation on providers is, yes, it's about information that's in the electronic health record that you use, but it's also in information that's in other systems that you may they use that has what we call electronic health information. So I think there is a need for, you know, for education and outreach. And that's one of the reasons that we wanted to, um, you know, make that information publicly available. So in particular, you know, what we've, what we've been doing is uh, we take complaints 
Um, and uh, and then, again, this was, you know, put into the 21st Century Cures Act that ONC will set up a portal to receive complaints. That's what we've done. That's where these, uh, you know, vast majority of these complaints are coming in. We do an initial screen of them to see if just at face value does it appear to be, you know, something that could be a legitimate allegation. So, for example, was it an actor, meaning is it a provider or a health information network or a certified technology developer? So, for example, someone could submit a complaint about a payer about a health insurer that actually is just not covered by the information blocking rules because the 21st Century Cures Act didn't name payers as actors, so um, as payers. So that would be one example of the kind of screen that we would do to say, well, it's not really an actor, so that, that isn't one. So we we filtered those out, and then you know, and then we have those. So I think you know that that you know the the availability of that information. I think is hopefully one part of being able to communicate to the industry that this is really important. Compliance is really important, and uh, and complaints are coming in, and everyone just needs to be aware of you know what is it that they're going to do to be able to prevent um, you know further claims and to be able to prevent any of these turning into findings of you know of being in violation. But I do want to point out that you know what we've published are just complaints that come in. We haven't you know gone through a process of investigation to say was this an actual violation of information blocking um, of the blocking rule. All we're doing is saying it appears to be a complaint that, um, you know, at face value, and then it's up to OIG to determine which ones they actually investigate. Do you see, um, obviously, OIG still has to, you know, take the steps to take action, but um, if they do, will you sort of follow up based on how they do to try to better educate or enforce information blocking? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, so I think independent, so I think they're, they're perhaps two paths here. One is, you know, can we do more regardless of, you know, of what OIG does? And, you know, I think the answer is, is, is yes on that front. So, you know, we ourselves are looking hard at, you know, how do we um, provide more information, for example, to individuals for, you know, how would you recognize information blocking when you see it? Like what should be an, what should be an expectation that you have as a patient now in terms of, you know, what the, um, what the law provides that should give you, you know, something different or better than, you know, than the experience you're having today. So, you know, we're working hard and thinking about, you know, how exactly would we, you know, sort of frame that. And then, and it's not just patients. It's also providers who want to be able to get information from another provider. It's a certified technology developer or a technology developer who wants to get information from another system and they believe that the technology developer on the other end is actually, you know, um, uh, you, know, um, uh, you know, sort of prohibiting the, the sharing of information. So, um, you know, so I think there's more to do in more focused kinds of ways to say, how would you know it when you see it? And I think that's the next step that we need to get to with, you know, with education and outreach. So we're working a lot with provider organizations as well as with technology developers to say, what are you hearing? You know, what are the kinds of questions that people are having? What do you think is the information gap? And then how can we, uh, you know, provide more information on that front? We do have to be a little bit careful because we do, because, um, the, again, the law was, you know, very clear that this was going to be a case-by-case -case determination based on, you know, the specific facts of the case and that there's a knowledge standard that's included in that as well. So, you know, what that means is that OIG in doing its assessment will also, you know, assess whether it was a reason for whatever, you know, act actually happened, was it reasonable for that provider, for example, to know that that would have been in violation of information blocking. So all of those, you know, speak to the uniqueness of the individual um, situation. And what that means is that from an education and outreach perspective, we just have to be careful to not say, here is your cheat sheet to, on making sure, you know, that if you follow these steps, you will absolutely not be in violation of, you know, information blocking. We're not in the position where we can do that, but we can provide more guidance, I think, for sure.
Yeah, I mean, I think the the point about how there are different obstacles for different stakeholders across the process is really important and looking at that holistically. I want to turn to Tefka. Um, you touched upon it at the beginning of our chat here, and um, I know that it went live in January. So um, although you've outlined a lot of Tefka in the past, um, can you sort of talk about what the state of it is right now in 2022 and how it will help expand EHR interoperability across the country moving forward? Sure. Um, yeah, we are at the end of the pre-work um, and at the beginning of the beginning. And what I mean by that is uh, there was a lot of work that was involved in bringing us to this point, which is, um, you know, what are, what's the core, what are the core pieces of TEFCA? So just to step back for a second, TEFCA is, you know, from the 21st Century Cures Act, TEFCA directed um, ONC to create some kind of governance framework for network interoperability across the country. There are networks that exist today um, in the private sector, and they've done a tremendous amount of work um, and, and do, you know, a ton of interoperability. Um, but they've, you know, they've, they've kind of slowed down in terms of being able to move forward. There's still issues of connecting up those networks. And so TEFCA is kind of an umbrella um, that, you know, that helps to connect them. And the key pieces of that are, um, you know, people, when they think of networks, they always think of the technical side. So there's technical specifications um, and, uh, uh, you know, but there is no, you know, sort of big switch that Mickey Tripathi and the ONC team turn on and all of a sudden it lights up. Um, basically, you know, the, 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 you know, the idea of this kind of network is that um, each network that decides to participate will implement um, the technical specifications so they can um, communicate with each other. So there is no big infrastructure on top that, you know, that uh, manages all the traffic and all the messages and all the medical record uh, information sharing that happens. It really is just a, an infrastructure to provide security and to provide things like, uh, you know, an electronic phone book, essentially, so that I know how would I actually send an electronic message to Mayo Clinic or to Mass General Hospital or to Framingham Pediatrics. Um, I need to be able to have a way to look that up and say, oh, there's the electronic dr address for them. And then also patient location. How do I know where, um, you know, Mickey Tripathi's records are? Um, they could be in five different places, but unless... I have some way of finding that out. I don't know, you know, which places to query. So the Tufka superstructure kind of creates that, but the networks communicate, um, you know, themselves. And so what we've released on January 18th are, you know, the, the fundamental building blocks on that of that are the um, the common agreement, which is basically the contract that any organization, any organization wants to be a network, signs with, um, you know, with kind of the network operator, which in our case is a nonprofit organization who we've contracted with called the Sequoia Project. And they um, basically will enforce these contracts with these networks. So that was the big piece, was putting together a contract that we think will work for the industry, that accomplishes the goals that we want to be able to accomplish, but that is something that, you know, that those who already have networks up and running will see it as valuable to take the next step and, you know, and sign this contract. Because it's not, it's a non-trivial amount of work to say, now I've got to sign this new agreement and now all my users have to, you know, sign, you know, a new agreement. And, you know, that's, that's actually a tremendous amount of work. And there are lots of policy issues and, you know, and things like that. So um, there was a lot of work in kind of getting enough consensus there um, for something that still had to go through the, you know, somewhat of a regulatory process within the federal government. So that was a tricky balance that we had to strike, but, you know, but we're excited that we're able to get that out. And then the other piece is the technical specifications. So what that means, what the launch of it means on January 18th, is that now we can say these are now out in the public. So any network 
that is interested in becoming one of the qualified networks on the on this Tefka-based exchange can now look at the contract, they can look at the technical specifications, and they can make a decision of do they see this in their market interest, you know, to participate in this network. So that's what I mean, that we're at the beginning of the beginning now. So now we've got a number of, um, you know, potential networks. We're starting to, you know, look over those documents um, and participate in ongoing forums to, you know, sort of get feedback and to, you know, have further discussion about it. And we, you know, we have a strong expectation that we'll have a couple of um, uh, of networks, hopefully minimally, um, a couple coming forward before the end of the calendar year to um, to want to move forward with it. Yeah, that's really exciting. And, you know, while you've also mentioned how, like, this is a, during the town hall yesterday, you were like, we're not here to break news. We're here to, you know, really share what we're doing. So, but in 2022, what do you really hope to accomplish? I mean, the TEFCA piece is big. You mentioned the APIs. I know that USCDI version three is supposed to get rolling this year. So what are you most excited about? What am I most excited about? Um, one of the great things of having this job is that there are like a tremendous number of things to be excited about. Um, so it's a, you know it's hard to pick my favorite child here. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, you know I'm 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 really excited about um, about Tefka and being able to you know hopefully get uh, you know somewhat of an industry consensus to settle the question of what's the overall umbrella for nationwide interoperability? Is there an over, overall network um, umbrella for that? And the reason I'm excited about that is that, you know, since ONC's inception, and this was that was when I first got involved in health IT as well, in the early 2000s, ONC was founded in 2004, a nationwide network has been a part of, you know, sort of the ONC vision, you know, literally for that long. I mean, that's what our first national coordinator, David Brailler, did a lot of work on what would, you know, an architecture for a nationwide interoperability network look like. Um, and, you know, since then, we've been, you know, sort of having that as, you know, being a part of the vision. And so now here we are with the foundation of, you know, I and mean, one of the things that we found was that, well, it's really hard to create a telephone network if no one has telephones. So, okay, well, let's step back. We have high tech. Let's get everyone onto electronic health records, you know, $40 billion investment, a lot of work. Great. Now everyone has telephones. Now we can rethink again, you know, what a telephone network looks like. So that's where we are. And that, that part's really exciting to me about, you know, getting us to a place that we can say, all right, now we have answered that question. Everyone knows what the North Star here is, and let's start pointing there. So that's one thing. I think the Fire API enablement is another thing that I'm really excited about because once we have that greater uniformity, we start to have individuals, uh, meaning providers as well as patients, have what I would consider a more normal experience with the use of technology in healthcare. So being able to use your smartphone to do things in healthcare like you do when you, you know, use Uber Eats. Um, and, you know, that's the expectation that people have. And they always wonder, why is it so different? Why can I order a pizza or order a burrito and I still am having a problem? Um, you know, I can't even do that, you know, with, with, with healthcare. Um, so I think that's one thing I'm really excited about as well is, is working with the vendors to get that in place by the end of the calendar year. And then finally, the last thing I would mention is health equity. Um, you know, health equity has been, you know, not a, not a front of mind concern. Um, in health IT. And I think now, um, as we know, it's an administration priority and it's certainly an ONC priority. Thinking about all the different ways that we can make that a front of mind concern. Um, and I think there are lots of opportunities for us to, you know, for us to do this um, uh, from a data perspective, as well as if we look at algorithms and we look at other areas um, that, uh, that can help us all move forward. So if we can change a little bit of the mindset um, this year, you know, reflecting sort of a turning point and, all right, everyone sort of gets that health equity has got to be an issue that they're thinking about as a front of mind concern here, I think we'll have, you know, done a great job. 
Yeah. So yesterday you were speaking alongside CDC talking about interoperability at the public health level. You attended all the sessions. Yeah, I know. That's my job. <laughs> um, so, you know, you have USCDI Plus and then uh, CDC has its own data modernization initiative going on. So um, in public health, in the public health space, you know, we've seen how there's lack of data in certain areas and that creates inequities in representation. So how are you coordinating with CDC to also improve interoperability at the public health level? Yeah. Um, so we're doing a ton with the CDC. Um, and that's, you know, one of the things that, um, that I've found, you know, really satisfying and gratifying about being in this role is our ability to work with, um, you know, other federal agencies. And the CDC is just, you know, um, kind of the poster child, I think, right now for uh, the national need um, for us to be able to do this and the great collaboration we've gotten from the CDC to say, hey, how have we, how, about, how do we join forces more to have, you know, everything that ONC has been doing with respect to interoperability being pulled in the direction of um, better enabling public health. So um, specifically to your question of, you know, of, of uh, you know, the USCDI, for example, the CDC has the Data Modernization Initiative, which, you know, is described very well, I think, on their, um, on their website. If you go to the CDC website, there's a whole thing on the DMI, they call it Data Modernization Initiative. One piece of that is the data itself. So there's, you know, there's infrastructure, there's, you know, there's, uh, there's all sorts of technology components for applications and tools and all of that. But then there's a core question of what data are we talking about here and how do we have greater consistency in that data? One of the challenges that we have and, uh, you know, with our public health system is that it's actually not a public health system. <laughs> it's, it's decidedly not a single public health system. It is um, a loose confederation of 64 different public health uh, systems. And then underneath that, there's hundreds and hundreds of public health systems um, that are at the state, territorial, local, tribal level. And the CDC plays a role through funding and through policy to orchestrate and coordinate the activities of those public health agencies. But, you know, they don't have the full authority, the command authority to say everyone has to do this. Um, that's just, you know, it's literally in the U.S. Constitution. So, um, but, you know, but technology can be an enabler to have greater orchestration across, um, you know, across different entities and to be able to provide everyone the, um, the benefit of having autonomy, which they need, um, but being able to have, you know, better opportunities for sharing. And so one of those pieces is the, is this USCDI, the U.S. Core Data for Interoperability. So the, um, the uh, ONC requires that certified EHR vendors um, which cover 95% of hospitals and 90% of ambulatory providers. We require that those EHR systems support a data model called the USCDI, the U.S. Core Data for Interoperability. And that's a, you know, I think of it as like the minimum data set of the healthcare delivery system. And that's, you know, 25, 26 data elements plus uh, eight types of uh, clinical notes that are required to be supported by those systems. Right now, we are, with a public health system, you have 64 different jurisdictions who are kind of defining their own data models. And that creates, you know, a lot of friction in the opportunity to be able to share it. It creates a lot of, um, a lot of, um, uh, you know, sort of overhead in being able to aggregate data from different jurisdictions and then try to, you know, normalize that and then try to provide a nationwide picture for the, um, the uh, jurisdictions to be able to share information with each other. It becomes really problematic and hard. So what we've been working on is saying, you know, how do we use the fact that We've already got this base of electronic health records now across the country who were required to support this minimum data set. How do we say, you know, how about if we start with that minimum data set as the starting point and build on top of that for public health needs? And can that help us get to a place where we have a true nationwide public health data model? And that can give us a little bit more systemness in a 
system that belies systemness. <laughs> and so if you can get that kind of and – that, and that becomes more of, a, of, of an opportunity. I mean, they can, you know, it's not about the federal government coming and saying, you know, public agency, health agency, you are required to do this, in part because we're not – you know, we don't have the authority to do that. But it also becomes something that is – this is an opportunity for all of us, and it will make your lives easier as well if you start from that basis. So that's, you know, just one piece of what we're doing with, uh, with the CDC to say we've got some levers already in the market. We can build on those in a way that, you know, helps to accomplish that goal and also helps to accomplish the better integration of the public health system with our healthcare delivery system as well, because that's one of the things we've seen in the pandemic as well, is that those two, you know, very important, uh, you know, sort of systems, quote unquote, um, are pretty siloed right now. Yeah, that's really important. So we have a few more questions here before we wrap up. And um, one of them is, since you are you know, you've touched upon so much that you're doing. So what are some of the biggest challenges amid juggling all of this work? And, um, you know, what are you doing to try to overcome them? Sure. Yeah. So um, what are the biggest challenges? I mean, well, you know, there's certainly always a challenge with, um, uh, you know, with the alignment of all the federal agencies. Um, you know, every federal agency has got its mission and they've got to be, you know, have their heads down performing their mission. And certainly in the pandemic, every organization in HHS, you know, is front and center, um, you know, in, in helping the nation get through this. So, um, but, you know, and that, 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 that means that there are challenges with respect to alignment of all of these activities. I and mean, we've got, um, uh, you know, four um, the, the wide adoption of electronic health records, um, you didn't see that much activity by all the different agencies, you know, trying to get more and more clinical information because it was so darn hard. But now we've got this foundation of electronic health records and every agency, um, you know, that's, that's involved in healthcare is like, oh, I want to get more information out of this for surveillance. I want to get more information for safety. I want to get more information for research. And, um, and which is fantastic, right? It's a problem that we wanted to have. Um, but, you know, but, but one challenge now is saying, how do we have just sort of better alignment within the federal government in our basic approaches. Just what I was describing with the CDC, right? How do we, you know, work with the FDA and NIH and CMS, you know, and, and HRSA and ARC and all those different agencies. So I think that's a, you know, that's a, that's a good challenge, but it's a challenge that, you know, that um, is fast emerging because there's more and more activity and more and more interest in, um, you know, in getting that, um, that kind of information. So that's one of the things we're doing behind the federal wall is, you know, helping to coordinate that. And, if, you know, of course, we've got to figure out a way of doing that in a way that doesn't slow those agencies down um, because they have missions to perform. We certainly don't want to be in the position of slowing them down. Um, but on the other hand, we think there's a benefit to everyone in having, you know, sort of better alignment of that. So that's, you know, that's one challenge. I think the other challenge is, um, you know, from my perspective, you know, thinking about what's the right, the perfect right sweet spot amount of regulation. Because <laughs> I, I do fundamentally believe that um, because the healthcare industry is so fragmented on the supply side and the demand side, and because the federal government has such a large presence in healthcare, and because the federal government um, has such deep interest, obviously, in, you know, in, in the healthcare system, I think that the role of regulation is really important in healthcare, um, as it is in a couple of other industries, like finance, for example, but um, it plays a particularly important role. Um, but I also appreciate having been in the private sector and healthcare IT, you know, for um, all of my health IT career up until uh, up until a year ago. Um, I also appreciate that there can be overreach, and it's really hard to you know sort of pull that back, um, and that can really have some deleterious effects on the market. So thinking, you know, really hard with the team of how much do we put in place that helps to have you know help the market organize and point in the direction that they themselves want to, but their own competitive interests prevent them from doing that. But isn't so much that it actually 
channels innovation in a certain way because we actually don't know what's the best way for innovation to be channeled. And I don't think the federal government should be the ones who are, you know, trying to dictate that. Yeah, it's definitely a tricky balance. Um, so now we get to the fun questions. Uh, we're here at Hims, and it's so already fun. <laughs> oh well, I guess everything's fun then. But uh, it's always fun to talk about the festivities at the conference. So, you know, you're here to talk about a, a different number of things. So, for people who can't make it to all your sessions, what are some of the key takeaways that you really wanted to bring to Hims that you want the audience to walk away with? Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that you know the biggest one is that. We are, you know, we're at, and, and, you know, the term inflection point is used too cavalierly, I would say, um, in general, but we're at an inflection point. Um, I think that we, you know, that we are really at the beginning of a fundamental change, I think, in paradigm in healthcare. And I want, you know, just people, and maybe it's just a reflection of how old I am, that I have 20 years now in health IT to, you know, to be able to step back and appreciate the moment, um, to be able to say, you know, people don't realize, I think, you know, certainly younger people, I think, don't realize the, you know, the long journey we've been on here, that um, starting in, you know, 2000, 2001, when the Institute of Medicine first put out, you know, its report on, you know, on the on the um, medical error rate in the U.S., and we started to think about how could health IT start to solve that problem, and then we had no idea how we were going to get health IT in place. Um, you know, there was a big challenge back then of thinking about, well, you know, and, and where the U.S. was kind of a laggard among industrialized uh, countries, that Europe was way ahead in terms of electronic health record adoption, and we were looking to Europe and saying, gee, how can we accomplish, you know, what they've accomplished, and then. Now we've you know, spent a lot of time, a lot of money on building this foundation of electronic health records. We are now at the point where we can start to say, this is starting to be a digitally native system. And how do we just reconceive how healthcare is organized? How do we start that process? And that's not an overnight thing. That's not a thing that you know happens because Mickey Tripathi stands up and makes a speech about it. But I think it's important for all of us to just stop and say, just remember, everything that we've had to, to date is like an electronic layer on this big cake that is paper, bricks, and mortar. <laughs> but now we have, you know, the cake is actually starting to be bits and bytes. And let's stand back and appreciate the moment of that, appreciate the innovation that can happen, and start to rethink some of the fundamental, you know, sort of ideas that we've had about the, health, the way healthcare should work. And let's think more creatively about healthcare, how we want healthcare to work. Um, and I think that that's the opportunity we have in front of us. Yeah, it really touches on the whole theme of the conference, which is to reimagine healthcare. So I'm glad you're aligned with that. And lastly, you know, I know you're here till tomorrow. So what are some key sessions that you're trying to see, if any at all? And um, maybe if there's an overall theme that you think will appear across the, the conference, um, what do you think um, has really emerged? Um, I mean, the showroom floor just has so many different things going on. So um curious to see what you have to say about that. Yeah, I will say I, I don't have any particular sessions that I'm thinking about, but when I when I am really looking forward to, I've said this to Kevin a couple times, um, and uh, and I'm really going to do it today. Is is going out in the showroom floor? I love. I mean, that you know, for me historically, that was, that's what Hims was about. Um, you know, I would try to attend certain sessions, but it was really about being able to get out on the floor, see the you know the established vendors as well as the small innovative vendors, and uh, you know, and really be able to talk to people, uh, you know, about what they're doing, and you know, sort of seeing what's the pulse of the industry. Um, and being able to see different dimensions of the different vendors that you don't really see. You know, you can talk to them on the phone. You can talk, you know, you can sort of have those meetings. But um, this is where you get the opportunity to dig a little bit deeper and, you know, really get that perspective. So I'm really looking forward to getting out in the showroom. And, you know, it'll be interesting now that I'm in this new role, um, what that feels like. <laughs> I used to do it a little bit more incognito. I guess now I'll have a little bit more of a 
a beacon on me, but um, uh, but I'm still looking. I'm really looking forward to that. And I do, you know, some of the themes. Um, we'll see what it is out there, but I'm going to anticipate that there's going to be a whole, you know, sort of set of themes related to algorithms and the ability of AI and ML um, to be able to creatively help us, you know, sort of solve administrative uh, business process kinds of things, as well as better clinical decision-making. And this is where it overlaps with the second theme I think is going to be out there, which is probably social terms of health and health equity and how we think about health equity. And obviously there's an overlap there as well where, you know, algorithmic approaches can be a benefit. They can also be a harm. Um, so that, that's what I'm looking forward to looking for as well. Well, fantastic. Um, I think a lot of us are also looking forward to those things. And, um, you know, I hope you find some cool stuff on the, the show floor. I know um, there are plenty of free cookies and cupcakes and goodies <laughs> I'll try to out stay there. Away from those. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, thank you so much. And I hope you have a great rest of your conference. Great. Thanks. You too. Thanks for tuning in. Follow our other shows for more coverage throughout the conference this week. And head to govciomedia.com to keep up with our HIMSS coverage. We'll be covering some key sessions and we'll release daily newsletters so you don't miss a thing. HealthCast along with GovCast and CyberCast is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. You can follow all of them in your favorite podcast platform, and if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. And if you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at gcio.com.